if you've been following along with us for the last month or so, uh, you'll know that we've been working through the Apostles' Creed. And um, if you haven't been following us, you can go back and find uh, these the messages from uh, the past on Facebook. And we haven't really talked about why we are uh, going through the Apostles' Creed, but it has something to do with uh, the idea of, of having a core value system. And there's a beautiful saying that's attributed to John Wesley, and it says, in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and all things charity. And it actually is one of the, the thoughts of the EMC denomination. And what we've seen, or what we're experiencing over the years is that this essentials, in essentials unity, our essentials just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and pushing people further and further away. So we wanted to find something that was grounding for all of us that we can all agree on and all um, kind of focus on. Then we could treat those other things, the non-essentials, with freedom and continue to treat all things with love. And that's why we're doing that. So if you're, if you're good with it, I would love it if you would read with me this morning the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And today we are focusing on I believe in the Holy Spirit. And today, in some ways, that statement completes our thought of God, right? So the triune God, right? We have already talked about the Father, we've already talked about the Son, and today we look at the Spirit. And so the shape of the creed is actually triangular, just like the shape of our God. It's actually meant to focus on that this idea of the Trinity, and I love the idea of the Trinity. I think it should inform us in all things that we do. And while I love it, I also acknowledge that I can't fully understand it, that it is so far beyond my understanding, but in some ways that also drives me to, to look deeper, to, follow, to think deeper, to search deeper, but I still don't think we're ever going to grasp that. I find it interesting that we come to the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and we've already gone through God the Father, which has this great descriptor of the creator, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then we come to Jesus, and Jesus has these six statements about him. And all it says about the Holy Spirit is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Huh. I wonder if it's because the spirit is more mysterious, more ethereal, uh, harder to grasp. I wonder if the authors actually wrote less to enhance that mystery. But the spirit takes on the role of the pointer. He points mostly to Jesus. 
but to the Father as well. He is the revealer, the giver of life. But we often talk about the Trinity like these are three separate people, and they are not. I'm going to push hard on that this morning. They are not separate. God says, I, the Lord your God, am one. And so what the Father does, the Son does. What the Spirit does, the Father does. And what the Son does, the Spirit does. And in some way, this is, this is enhanced by Scripture. Actually, this is um, illustrated in Scripture. It could seem like identity confusion a little bit. Because there are scriptures that talk about each part of the Trinity doing the same thing. Let let me just read a couple of them for you. So Genesis 1-2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God created all creation. Ephesians 3-9 says, I was chosen to explain everything, every, sorry, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. That's God the Father, the creator of all things. We just said the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then John 1, 1 to 3 says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So authors of the scriptures attribute creation to all three, which is beautiful. I think that's amazing. And Jesus says it himself in John 10, 30. He says, I and the Father are one. And I would go ahead and say that Jesus would also say, I and the Spirit are one. And that the Father would say, I and the Spirit are one. And the Spirit would say, I and the Son are one. I love how Jesus also says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I would add again that we could say that if you have felt the Spirit, you have felt the Son. If you have experienced the recreating love of the Spirit, you have experienced the love of the Father. I don't know about you, but I've often got trapped into thinking that God is the judge, that Jesus is the lover, and the Spirit is the presence. And while there is some truth to that, I think thinking about God this way is actually harmful to him and to me. Here's why. Because when I separate the judge from love and from presence, he begins to judge like I do. But a judge that is both loving and presence is very different. And Mark talked about that last week. So remember, when I'm talking about the Spirit, I, the Lord your God, am one. Psalm 104.30 says this in the New New Living Translation. When you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. The breath of God. That that same verse in, in the CEV says, you created all of them by your Spirit and you give new life to the earth. So I love this idea of the Spirit as God's breath. I love imagery, so I I love to talk in imagery. The, uh, The image of God's breath being the Spirit. And in Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord God formed human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils, and the human 
came to life. This is the spirit being poured into man. And it's my very thoughts on humanity. We are all at once the topsoil or the dirt of the earth and at the same moment, the breath of life and the breath of God. In one moment, we act as if we are simply stuff worth being walked on and at other moments, we act with grace and love. The beauty of this is that even God created even that dirt that we often look down on. And the Holy Spirit, as the breather of life or the giver of life, is an agent of birth and an agent of rebirth. Luke 1, 31 to 35 says, you will receive and give birth to a son. He's talking to Mary. And you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born and will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit once again breathes life into dust, into the dirt of this woman. This is the imagery of new creation, of the second Adam, which we probably will talk about at another time. But the Spirit gives life we see this at the very beginning as he hovers over the chaos of the waters and we see it again in the spirit of the virgin's birth. But not only does he give physical life, he gives us spiritual life. John 3, John 3 5 to 8, Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I don't know how many of you know this, but birthing is a messy process. <laughs> yeah, the, the women that have given birth will know, and those that have watched birth or been part of birthing, it is very messy. We are born, breathed life by the breath of God, and we're born into mess. And the Spirit hovers over the mess, over the chaos, over the waters, and He breathes again. When we have our eyes open to the Spirit, and when we approach Jesus in the night, asking Him, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? When we give up thinking that we are in control, then we are born again. We're given new life. The Spirit gives us new life and there is newness and there is change. Galatians 5, to 26 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. 
So the Holy Spirit breathes life into us and breathes life into us again. And we're transformed to love, joy, peace, patience. Those things aren't always natural for me. And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit breathes life into every human being. That the creation story is not just about Adam receiving the Spirit, receiving the breath of God, but that the breath of God is in every single living creature. And that's why Paul claims in Romans that ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. And that breath of God that was breathed into us and continues to breathe into us, it sustains us, it holds us, it never gives up. It hovers over the chaos to give more life, abundant life, full life, when we are ready to give up. And it is the Spirit of God that breathes into us, that points to God within us. He points to the Son and to the Father. J.L. Packer said that the Holy Spirit allures people to, to Jesus. I like that, allures people to Jesus. The Spirit makes them realize that Jesus is wonderfully loving, wonderfully holy, wonderfully upright, and glorious as a model of human life. It seems really important to me that we believe that the Spirit of God is in, with all of us, that the breath of God is in all of us, it seems that it is this life-giving spirit is the same thing that reaches out to God, that reveals God's goodness and calls us to Jesus. We believe that the scriptures are inspired, right? That just means somehow the spirit of God moved in people to write words that point to God. The Spirit inspires people to write, not just for writing's sake, but to reveal, to point. And Jesus said this in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. In some mysterious way, the breath of God that is the God in us is the compelling force that causes us to seek out God. I think that's a beautiful thing. It is God that causes us. We have no, I mean, we have some choice in it, but it is him that is, is reaching out. Like a seed that grows inside of us, this imminent closeness of the spirit, the God within us, grows and blooms and reaches out to the transcendent God, the God revealed in Jesus, the Christ. John Wesley, in a sermon on this, wrote, for allowing that all the souls of men are dead in sin by nature, this excuses none. Seeing that there is no man that is in a state of mere nature, there is no man unless he has quenched the spirit that is wholly void of the grace of God. No man living is entirely destitute of what is vulgarly called the natural conscience. But this is not natural. It is more properly termed preventing grace, what we call prevenient grace. Everyone has some measure of that light, some faint glimmering ray, which sooner or later, more or less, enlightens every man that cometh into the world. 
And everyone, unless he be of the small number whose conscience is seared with a hot iron, feels more or less uneasy when he acts contrary to the light of his own conscience. So that no man sins because he has not grace, but because he does not use the grace which he has. What a beautiful thing. Incredible. A faint, glimmering hope or light. Even in our darkness, in our dirt, the Spirit hovers over the chaos. And I'm not sure about this, this person that Wesley points to as his conscience being seared with a hot iron. Because I think even the most vile person that we can think of, or what we consider vile, still has the spirit within them. In fact, the psalmist thought that so much that he wrote in one of, uh, Psalm 104, 29 and 30. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. Oh, I love that poetic imagery. The psalmist sees that the spirit's faint glimmering of hope is the only thing that keeps the dust together. That without the breath of God, they disintegrate. So the spirit breathes life, points to life, and renews life. There's two stories that I just want to uh, read to illustrate the renewing of life. And they're one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And the first one comes from Genesis 11, 1 to 9. It's the story of Babel. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylon and settled there. They began saying to each other, let us make bricks, harden them with fire. They said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered over all the earth. But the Lord came down to look at the city and tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way, the Lord scattered them over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. To be honest, I never really understood the point of this story. <laughs> what was so bad about people being united? Isn't that the whole purpose? <laughs> but whatever is going on here, the result has been a mess. People didn't understand each other. And I imagine being on a job site where you're trying to read blueprints and you can't speak to the person that you're, that you're working with. And there's no Google Translate and no Duolingo. But the spirit hovers over the chaos. And maybe that's why the story is here. Because when we get to Acts 2, we see him renewing. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. 
These people are from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. I just love to imagine that scene of Pentecost. Crowds of people pushing together, all speaking different languages, all different dialects. What a mess. This story is the exact opposite of the story of building of Babel, isn't it? The spirit translates so that there can be unity. I don't know about you guys, but for me, the last few weeks have been very chaotic. And I had to remember that the spirit hovers over the chaos. And one day this week, as I tried to work out my thoughts on what I was even going to share this morning, a young man came to see me as I sat at the front door. And I was covered in PPE and he was high as can be. And he stumbled around trying to tell me things which I really didn't understand. But I understood one thing that he said. He said, before I go, can you pray for me? And the spirit hovers over the chaos. And so I prayed. I prayed that he would experience the peace and the presence of God. And I said amen. But he stopped me. And he prayed for me. And the spirit hovered over the chaos. Just as the spirit began hovering over the waters, the chaos, this continues to be his role. To form chaos into beauty. But remembering that I, the Lord your God, am one. He moves over the dark waters and he says, let there be light. He moved over the chaos of the Roman Empire and he speaks to Mary and he says, let there be light. And he moves over our lives and he points us to light. He creates and recreates hovering over our chaos. I hope that you experience that this week, that in the midst of chaos, you experience the presence, the newness of the Spirit. I pray that the Lord will bless you and protect you, and that he will show, your mer- he will show you mercy and kindness. May the Lord be good to you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.